This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Jazz Podcast, a collaboration between the New Books Network and the Journal of Asian American Studies. This episode will be the first of a four-part series featuring the winners and honorable mentions of the 2021 Book Awards for the Association of Asian American Studies, or AAAS. I am your host, Chris Patterson, speaking to you from the ancestral, traditional, and unceded territories of the Musqueam people on the University of British Columbia campus. Since 1987, the Book Awards at the annual AAAS conference has given valuable attention onto the works in Asian American studies that have been leading the field and have spotlighted works that seek to generatively disrupt, challenge, or undo the norms of Asian American studies, keeping the field dynamic in its ideas, animated in its possible uses, and broadly effective in its possible impacts to educators, organizers, and the general public. This first episode in the series will focus on the Book Awards in Social Sciences and Literary Studies. Past winners in these categories include groundbreaking work like Steve Sumida's And the View from the Shore, Literary Traditions in Hawaii in 1992, and Yen Le Espiritu's Asian American Panethnicity, Bridging Institutions and Identities in 1994. Like these predecessors, the winners this year explore bridges and views that have yet to be given adequate academic attention. First, we will begin with our interview with Jian Neo Chen, whose book Trans Exploits documents the threads of critical trans of color organizing and theory within the past 20 years. Our second interview will be with Quinn Nu Lei, whose book Unsettled Solidarities attempts to rethink the categories of indigenous and settler identities to consider broader transnational forms of racial settler colonialism in the Americas. To begin each interview, I will be reading from the rationales written by the award committees. As we will often discuss racial, gendered, and sexual violence, please remain mindful and take care. I think the work that the the artists and activists and scholars that they do is really just so relevant to to every moment, but especially this contemporary moment, and um, I think really activating. I'm here with Jian Neo Chen, an associate professor of queer studies in English and women's gender and sexuality studies at the Ohio State University. Chen is the winner of the AAAS Book Award in Social Sciences for their book, 
Trans Exploits, Trans of Color Cultures and Technologies in Movement, which was also a Lambda Literary Award finalist in LGBTQ studies in 2020. Chen's book, as the award committee wrote, quote, expands and contributes to our understanding of trans justice in relation to queer, feminist, disability, and racial justice. Using an interdisciplinary lens, Trans Exploits makes visible the work and culture of trans of color through illuminating the role of technologies in expression and its role in creating social movements that challenge white supremacy and cis-heteropatriarchy. Along with Misha Cardenas, Chen also co-edited a special issue of Transgender Studies Quarterly on Trans Futures, published in November 2019. Gian, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for being here and being willing to share your work. Um, thanks so much, Chris, for inviting me and allowing me to share some of my work. Um, I just want to start out with an acknowledgement that I'm speaking to you today from the traditional territory of the Lenni Lenape, uh, called uh, Lenape Hoking. Thank you. Great. And um, congrats again on your uh, win um, for Trans Exploits. What was your reaction to uh, winning the, the Social Studies Book Award? Um, I was really, really surprised and happy. It's such an unexpected gift during, um, as you all know, these difficult times. And I've um, honestly felt the most at home sharing my work in AAAS conferences over, I think, the past decade. And I'm thrilled that the book is being received and, and welcomed by those welcoming, by those working um, in the vibrant field of Asian American studies. Um, I give thanks to the AAAS Book Awards Committee, the artists, organizers, and scholars who shaped the book, Anima Series, and Duke Editors, and everyone who's contributed to um, BIPOC, trans, and, and gender-expansive world-building and, and social thought. So let's talk a bit about that um, that background of all of the people who have influenced you and um, some in the process of writing this book. So can you start by telling us a bit about yourself and what brought you to write Trans Exploits and perhaps the most challenging part of writing this book? Well, yeah, so much of writing the book was actually um, related to my own personal and political history. Um, I identify as a trans and queer Taiwanese Asian American migrant. And um, I think you said before, I, I use they and he pronouns. My racial, gender, and sexual awareness have been deeply shaped by my childhood experiences growing up in the Deep South, Alabama, Texas, Louisiana, in the late 1970s and early 1980s, and then Southern California in the late 1980s. I came into, I think, my political consciousness in the 1990s in the San Francisco, Oakland Bay Area um, and as an undergraduate in ethnic studies and English at UC Berkeley, and then um, as a popular education organizer and community fundraiser and event planner, um, inspired by Asian American and women of color feminists and um, queer, trans, and gender variant people, both inside and outside the university. And um, just to name some of the folks and groups, um, they included uh, Laura Hini Kong, uh, Trinity Minha, Carla Trujillo, June Jordan, Dai Tribe, People of Color News Collective, Asian Immigrant Women Advocates, Asian Women's Shelter, Women of South Asian Descent Collective, Tricone, API QC, 
Tranny Fest, the GLBT Historical Society, and COAF, Community United Against Violence, such um, important localized uh, groups um, and, and, and um, individual scholars uh, and activists who had so much impact. Um, transgender movements and cultures were surfacing by the second half of the 1990s in the Bay, and my own trans identity was shaped by this moment. Um, but I think that the specific experiences of trans of color people were often displaced by the unmarked histories of racial whiteness that allowed for more um, coherent and legible transgender identities to take the center in that moment. So building on my graduate work in comparative literature, feminist studies and queer studies at UC Irvine, and also my research as a faculty member in um, English at the, the Ohio State, um, I started thinking about and writing trans exploits in the 2010s at a different moment when BIPOC, trans and gender variant cultures and organizing were really beginning to lead political conversations and cultural visions about transgender communities. And when BIPOC, trans and gender variant people, especially black and brown trans women and trans feminine people were feeling the intensified effects of white supremacy, racism and cis heteropatriarchy, militarization and policing and economic and political divestment from social needs and resources at state, social and interpersonal levels, um, especially with the reorganizing of the US state after 9-11. In the book, I hope to highlight the specific and interrelated um, racial and indigenous gender histories that shape the emergence of trans of color identities and to show how those histories are reworked and given new critical and imaginative potential through different trans of color aesthetics and life practices. And the most challenging part of writing the book was trying to be aware, responsible, and imaginative in naming, describing, and theorizing trans senses, identities, and life practices that are um, constantly changing, expanding, and um, often also under contention. Um, it was all very challenging, but I think really rewarding. The book is, is such an amazing kind of encapsulation of so many of these histories uh, that are, have been submerged, I suppose, in both like queer and, and trans media um, and histories about these uh, movements. You mentioned just now the very briefly the 9-11 um, and the kind of growth of the surveillance state and the war on terror, which as you know, a lot of queer theorists and, and trans theorists tell us is not irrelevant right, to these projects around sexual identity. And so one thing that I really like about your book is that you're expanding and um, doing different things with the, the way that, that those things relate to each other. Um, and I'm thinking namely of how you are like building off the work of Dean Spade, C. Riley Snorton, Jasbir Puar, um, and and particularly in like seeing uh, the terms like trans as less of a static identity or an endpoint, um, but as a continual process and to name various communities who are organizing within these experiences. And so can you talk about how your book um, speaks to that? A larger conversation. Yeah, I appreciate you linking up my book to these other bodies of work um, that have been so influential um, in my thinking um, for the book. Um, 
The book really hopes to contribute to the growing work in trans of color critique, including some of the earlier collected work of Misha Cardenas, we were just talking about, uh, Justin Cotton, um, Deborah Miranda, Seema Sakshari, Nail Banji, uh, monographs by Mel Chen, Marcio Ochoa, C. Raleigh Snorton, you mentioned, Kali Fajardo, um, Jin Harita Warren, Matt Richardson, Corley Driscoll, Aaron Azura, and um, the Transgender Study Quarterly Special Issues on uh, BIPOC Trans Studies. Um, this body of work focusing on intersectional trans temporalities of gender, sex, and sexuality um, infuses critical trans studies by, I think, the 2010s. And it builds on and expands the important foundations laid by Susan Stryker, Sandy Stone, Jacob Hale, uh, Talia Betcher, uh, J. Jack Halberstam, and Dean Spade um, in in really activating a critical transgender studies. Um, I remember that in her introduction to the first volume of the Transgender Studies Reader in 2006, Co-edited with, co-edited with uh, Stephen Whittle, um, Stryker described the field of critical transgender studies as providing an incre- increasingly indeterminate account of the relationships between gender, sex, society, and culture, and of the non-visible internal matrix of subjective, subjectively experienced gender. So trans... Trans of Color Critique um, builds on the emerging work of critical transgender studies and also um, is in kinship with queer of color critique, um, building on the intersectional analysis and aesthetics of women of, women of color feminisms, including the work of the Kambahi River Collective, Christos, Gloria Anzaldua, Merle Wu. Uh, queer of color critique, especially queer women of color critique, I think attends to racial and indigenous histories of sexuality and gender that tend to position queer BIPOC people within hierarchies of power shaped by white supremacist heteropatriarchy and then its institutionalization within BIPOC communities and also LGBTQ plus communities. Um, Jasbir Poir's critiques of homonationalism and emerging transnormativity and Rod Ferguson's revised reading of the Monihan Report, building on Black feminist thought, provide just two specific ex- examples of the queer of color critical methods and genealogies uh, that I think is so vital in shaping trans of color critique. Um, in my book, Trans of Color Critique uses racially situated sense and aesthetics to remember the racial and indigenous genealogies of gender sex and to reveal and rework the power differentials between cis-hetero manhood and womanhood. Um, Trans of Color for me names relations and potential solidarities between trans and gender variant people displaced by different histories of racial and settler colonial gendering. And how do you feel um, your book grows out of and speaks to the broad field, sorry, (laughs) the broad field of Asian American studies particularly? I don't know if it often gets classified as an Asian American studies book, but you did mention uh, Mel Chen's uh, animacies and um, 
And there are moments in, in animacies that I'm remembering now where we have uh, like conversations about the terms like queer and um, different kind of insults, right, in Chinese and in, among diasporic communities. So there's, there is some interesting, really fascinating history there and how folks from Asian American studies have um, contributed to this larger discourse. But um, how do you see the field in, in the, the um, critical trans studies that you're practicing? I'm really glad you uh, mentioned Mel's work um, as one of the series editors of, of um, Anima, um, through which uh, my book got published. I'm very grateful to the series. Um, the book is really indebted to the ongoing work of Asian American uh, feminist and queer studies. And I think that the scholarship of um, Mel Chen, Laura Kong, Celine Perenia Shimizu, Gaija Gopinath, Mimi Nguyen, David Ng, Nayan Shaw, Martin Malanson and many more, um, Joe Ponce, um, have each really uh, contributed to sort of shifting the epistemic paradigms in Asian American studies to really think through gender and sexuality as um, fundamental to the racial classification of South, Central, Southeast, and Northeast Asian bodies. And I think that this shift has really enabled an understanding of a different set of historical concerns and relations that don't easily align with settlement, economic, biological determinism, the binaries of exclusion, inclusion, invisibility, visibility, or um, ephemerality and, and permanence as underlying conceptual or political investments. Um, so I, I really, I really hope that the um, book will contribute some of its gender vibrancy to the continuation of Asian American, especially Asian American queer and feminist knowledge production and also political resistance. And I have a bit of a silly question, but I love, but I, I've noticed writers answer it in very intriguing ways, which is, um, is there a favorite moment in your book or, you know, something that now I think it was published in 2019, right? Mm -hmm. So that two years later, you look back at and are, you know, just kind of brings you joy and or humor when you think about it. I, I still feel really sort of moved by the, the liveliness of um, the work I was able to write on, um, produced by each of the artists and activists and scholars in the book. And so um, actually when I go back, I don't go back often to look at the book. Um, I still am just really struck at how um, how relevant the artwork is and how relevant um, the activist actions and the scholarship really is, even um, as sort of the historical context and social context changes. Um, so I think uh, transmigrant Korean American visual artist Joe's Meets performances, um, they call, you know, in, in, um, in the chapter where I look at her work, um, I think her performances still call attention to the racialized um, foreign externalization and then the domestic incorporation of Asians by the U.S. nation state and the, the long history of militarized and legislated gender construction, uh, police, policing and violence, um, including the killing of Filip Filipina trans woman um, Jennifer Laud in 2014 by U.S. Marine. Um, so that has uh, shaped um, 
Asian femininities and masculinities. And then when I look back on um, the chapter on genocides, uh, genocide Gutierrez is um, community building and direct actions and also social media campaigns. Uh, her work really continues to call for an end um, to the detention, abuse, and killing of Latinx and other migrant trans women. And um, her work really seeks to provide, a, a, I think, a deeper understanding of the networks of detention and policing that have uh, worked to construct and control the borders of the U.S. nation state in the Latinx Americas. And then lastly, I think Janet Mock's work uh, continues to be so powerful, particularly her most recent um, contributions to the film production of Pose, the TV series Pose. Um, her her work really continues to draw popular attention away from the spectacle of Black trans women's and trans women of color's deaths towards an understanding of the complexities of um, Black trans feminine and trans feminine, trans feminine of color agency and relationships in navigating power differentials. And so I think my answer is probably not sort of the lighter one you're looking for, but I do think that um, the kind of uh, gender vibrancy um, and resilience, I think, uh, hopefully highlighted in the book, they really, um, I think, continue to kind of shape my orientation towards this particular moment in time. Absolutely. Always happy to talk about the, the artists and cultural workers who inspire our work. How do you feel now that the book is finished and um, has won this uh, AAAS Book Award? Uh, which isn't to say that it, you know your work already wasn't impactful before this. And I remember, uh, I believe it was the first time I ever saw you on a panel. Um, you, it, it was at either AAAS 2016, 2015. Um, and the room was just so jam-packed that I had to like leave halfway because I, I get a bit claustrophobic. Um, but there was definitely so much, uh, you know, uh, um, desire for the kind of work that, that you do and, and the other folks who are working on this subject. Um, but now that we, you know, one thing that the AAAS Award often provides is a kind of second life to um, books that have been out for a couple of years. Um, is there, have you thought about the project differently since you won? Or have you thought about um, a different kind of impact that you are hoping it could have on uh, readers, whether academics, uh, students, or organizers? Yeah, um, I really appreciate that question because I've been kind of thinking about that as well. And I um, am really just so grateful to um, that the award is giving me a chance to kind of uh, build stronger ties with uh, connections with the field of Asian American studies um, and also AAAS. Um, I think that the conversation, the roundtable you were talking about, it was uh, in 2018, it was a uh, roundtable organized by Chris Ng. And I was just so grateful for that particular conversation because it tried to really kind of bring more to the surface um, the relationships between queer of color and um, the trans of color critique and framework that I was really trying to um, kind of work through at that moment in time before my book had been published. Um, so the ward is really doing something very similar in the sense that I um, see it less as sort of um, kind of coming after my book's publication and um, then igniting um, a really welcome conversation after the work is out, but rather kind of providing the book with even more context and extension. 
Um, I think because I felt like my book was really trying to do fairly new work in terms of uh, building off of Asian American gender and sexuality studies to engage trans subjects and gender variant subjects. Like I tried to be careful around how I built that conversation in the book uh, and the connections and relationships. And um, I think the different um, conversations that I've been able to be a part of even last year um, with all the stuff that was happening last year and then this book award and also then the Lambda, uh, the finalist was being uh, having the book be a Lambda finalist also just allowed me to sort of deepen um, my thinking around how how the book um, is trying to um, build off of, of certain networks that already exist. And so, um, so I do think that the book award is really kind of giving life to my book, not even a second life, but life to my book. And it's uh, really nice to receive it uh, during this moment where it's also really difficult, I think, because we're not interacting in any kind of live way to get more of a sense of the different communities that um, hopefully find the book meaningful. And I'm really feeling really energized uh, by the award and also the different conversations that have happened um, over the past year in particular um, through the book. And I'm hoping that that will continue. So what's next for you? Do you have a, um, a project that you've been um, working on since the publication of this book? Um, I, I am actually at the beginning stages of a second book on trans-Asian American cultural and political histories. And um, sort of the starting point is really investigating the connection between post-World War II U.S. settler colonialism and imperialism in um, Indian Pacific Asian regions, questions of war and technology, and then the formation of transsexual transgender identities or the inter intersections between those those different um, uh, events and processes. And um, I'm hoping that it's really going to kind of move into more of like a, a launching period, like over the summer, because yeah, this past year, um, moving into this one has been like, especially I think challenging for everyone. That sounds like a very um, necessary and uh, needed book project. Um, I'm so glad mm -hmm. you're working on that. <laughs> and um, I really can't wait to uh, to read it once you're done with it or you have pieces of it out. Um, that sounds like such a necessary thing. And as you said that, I realized like, oh, there's not already a book like that. And there definitely should be. And so um, I think when you have that feeling, then that's the, you know, the key to just knowing how big of an impact um, this project will have. Well, Gian, thank you so much for spending your time with us here. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I'm sure we will talk again in some other context. Definitely. I hope so. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this, and I'm sending you and all well wishes. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. 
I'm here with Quinn Nu Lei, an associate professor of English literature at the University of South Florida. She is the winner of the AAAS Book Award in Literary Studies for her book, Unsettled Solidarities, Asian and Indigenous Cross-Representations in the Americas. In their rationale, the award committee wrote that Lay's book, quote, advances a key paradigm shift for the field of Asian American studies through her attention to racial settler colonialism. Unsettled Solidarities is insightful, nuanced, and the first book to comparatively analyze Asian American and indigenous literatures within a hemispheric context. Lay's close readings present thoughtfully curated pairings of Asian American and indigenous texts and draw out interdisciplinary cross-temporal conversations that destabilize traditional critical perspectives. Her writing is ambitious yet accessible, making unsettled solidarities both a teachable text and one that provides a model of clear, elegant academic prose. Hi, New. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here and willing to share your work with us. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. So how did you react to winning the AAAS um, Book Award? Um, I was incredibly honored by the recognition. Uh, I have uh, a really deep admiration for the scholarship of uh, the folks who were on the awards committee. And so this was really wonderful and welcome news. Um, uh, I workshopped actually a major part of the book at uh, the AAAS uh, junior faculty retreat. I think it was like in 2014 or so. And so this book was very much due to sort of the mentorship and generosity of the scholars in the field. So again, this is a, a really kind of wonderful award and a wonderful recognition. And can you tell us a bit about yourself and um, where this book comes from? Like what brought you to write Unsettled Solidarities? Yeah, absolutely. So currently I'm an associate professor, as you had mentioned, of English literature at the University of South Florida. Um, I received my MA and my PhD from the University of California, Santa Barbara, and my BA from the University of Colorado, Boulder. Um, and And just kind of on the personal side, I'm a child of Vietnamese refugees who escaped Vietnam by boat in the 1980s. Um, I was about nine months old when my parents left Vietnam and almost two two years old when they arrived to the United States via the refugee camp in the Philippines. So while in the United States, we moved around a lot, uh, particularly in the San Diego area. Um, but our major move was uh, to Colorado when I was about 14 years old. And so um, the seeds of the project actually began in Colorado. And when I uh, started undergraduate work at CU Boulder um, on traditional territories of the Cheyenne, Arapaho and the Ute. Um, and it began when I was in uh, a program at CU Boulder called the McNair's Scholars Program, which um, provided a lot of um, mentorship as well as a lot of funding for first-generation college students um, to really think about what it meant to do research uh, for graduate school. And it was there at McNair that I connected with a lot of uh, folks of color, particularly um, um, you know, uh, Native American indigenous 
communities and students um, and uh, particularly student organizing. Um, and that was where I began sort of thinking about, right, the role of Asian American presence within the settler state. So the conversations that I had at um, CU Boulder with indigenous students and activists um, and, you know, from, you know, other folks from many areas of the Four Corners um, really incited me to question the legality and the legitimacy of the U.S. settler state and its claims and its norms. Um, so that was sort of the seed of the project. The actual project itself began um, at um, UC Santa Barbara, where I did my MA and my PhD uh, on uh, traditional Chumash lands. Um, and at uh, UC Santa Barbara, um, the dissertation topic began with thinking specifically about the role of Asian American literature and critique and its reliance on U.S. settler logics. And so the book itself began as a kind of critical inquiry into Asian American literature and critique. Um, what it turned out to be was something different, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But um, so, you know, the four chapters in my dissertation actually sent, uh, centered, the first three chapters centered uh an Asian American text each. And then the last chapter looked at Leslie Marmon Silko's um, Almanac of the Dead. And so it really um, was sort of the seed of what became un Unsettled Solidarities uh, later on. Um, during graduate school, uh, I uh, uh, was able to sort of um, read upon works such as Honani K. Trask's Settlers of Color Hegemony and Candice Fujikane and Jonathan, Jonathan uh, Y. Okamura's um, work on Asian settler colonialism. And that very much kind of provided a lot of kind of um, uh, critical work to think specifically about the role and uh, complicities of Asian Americans within sort of the U.S. settler state specifically. Um, so that's that's kind of the the I guess you would say sort of the beginning points of uh, the 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 work the production of the work. Yeah, thank you for illuminating that. The book is really fascinating, and you begin actually in the introduction with talking about a bit of that context. You also zoom in a bit more on the racial triangulations when thinking about indigeneity, or sometimes in the in the case of the U.S. particularly of not thinking about indigeneity. And so I, I'm curious about where your work or how you see your work kind of growing out of that or coming out of that conversation. And I'm thinking of works that you quote quite a bit from and, and engage with, which is like Jody Bird's first book, Ico Day's book, thinking about Asian migrants as arrivants or as aliens in, within a kind of triangulation of indigeneity and settlers. How did, your, how did you foresee your book kind of um, contributing to that conversation um, and engaging with, with those ideas? Um, yeah, so as you had mentioned, my book is very much coming out of the critical questions about the defining logics of settler colonialism in the Americas and how white, indigenous, and non-native racialized communities are situated within those processes. The scholars that you have mentioned uh, in very different but important ways helped me to find language for the complex conditions that we are all captured under. So in conversation with these scholars, my book offers the identifier settler racial as a bridge for 
what has been designated, um, whether it's aptly designated or not, as a tension between the terms settler, arrivant, and or alien when applied to Asian positionalities in the Americas. So the term settler ratio, um, in a sense, does not modify any identity position per se, but rather it modifies processes of power. Uh, that is, as an adjective, settler racial modifies structures and logics of power, such as hegemonies, to highlight the participation of white settler and racialized communities in settler colonial worldings. So my book suggests that the participation of these various groups cannot be conflated given racialized communities' uneven statuses as alien or arrivant. That is, uh, that is why, uh, in some ways, the, the term settler grammatically precedes racial. So at the same time, settler racial also emphasizes the connection between settlers and racialized communities, since racialized communities can and do reproduce and benefit from settler colonialism. Uh, because settler racial modifies structures of power rather than identity positions, it centers the structural formations of settlement as a process that defines and yet makes malleable the communities within its rubrics. So in naming the Asian alien or arrivant or settler as within the settler racial state or under settler racial hegemonies, I'm working to attach these shifting, often palimpsestic identifications imminently to the shifting logics of settler state power. So in addition to the gender of language of settler, arrivant, and alien uh, proffered by scholars such as Hanane K. Trask, Candice Fujikane, Jody Bird, Aiko Day, and Lisa Lowe, um, they have also laid tremendous groundwork in examining the liberal incorporation and inclusion of communities of difference. Where my work contributes to that conversation is through the sustained relational readings of Asian and indigenous cultural productions across the hemisphere. So the book argues that the literary crossings of these two communities in juxtaposition with readings of settler state discourses reveal what I term settler racial hegemonies or the liberal logics out of which settler, alien, and indigenous communities come to participate in the reproduction of settlement and empire across the Americas. More specifically, I suggest that because these two communities are often diametrically opposed in the settler imagination, that a focus on their relationship with one another can illuminate how set, so settler states operate via a kind of settler racial tense or tension. Um, I use the term tense or tension as a metaphor for both the spatial temporal and the affective logics of the state. So in other words, uh, the sustained reading of Asian indigenous crossings helps to illuminate the grammatical and the emotional economies that push and pull communities into tense and intense relationalities with one another and with the state. 
So drawing from these two community formations crossings, I offer the term settler racial tense or this kind of analytic, right, as a heuristic or a lens through which to read other modes of relationalities under settler colonialism. And so you follow this, um, I mean, there's so many amazing ideas in, in this book. Um, the racial, uh, uh, settler racial tense, um, and the way that you are putting those terms together, with like settler racial hegemonies is another term that mm-hmm. you use um, throughout the book. Um, but one of the most intriguing things for me as, as um, someone who does, I guess, trans-Pacific studies, um, where we're constantly, where we're thinking about these different structures and how they relate right across time and space um, mm-hmm. is the the movement after chapter one um, to Canada, um, to text about Canada, and then to doing what you were mentioning as the hemispheric discourse, right? Thinking about Brazil, thinking about uh, Mexico. Uh, can you talk a bit about how that kind of structure came into the project? Um, how this hemispheric discourse um, is gives us a different lens on our own kind of settler colonial um, analyses? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think the, the hemispheric um, uh, lens came out of my readings and selections of works themselves. And so really um, what I... Um, what I began the project with was just kind of thinking about, well, you know, in, in what literatures do I see kind of moments where we have representations or interactions between Asian and indigenous peoples? Um, and, you know, that led me to works that are included in, in the book, um, like Joy Kagawa's Obasan, um, Marie Clement's Burning Vision, um, you know, uh, Karen Tay Yamashita's Through the Arc of the Rainforest, as well as The Tropic of Orange, which I don't talk about in the book, but is, you know, something that um, is very generative in, in my thinking about sort of, uh, I think, kind of settler racial hegemonies or settler racial tense in the context of Mexico, right? Um, and also, um, especially, um, uh, Leslie Marmon Silco's uh, um, Almanac of the Dead. Um, And uh, particularly in that chapter, right, where I do a critical reading or a critical juxtaposition of Leslie Marmosilko's Almanac of the Dead with uh, Karen Tay Yamashita's Through the Arc of the Rainforest, what I saw was um, their vision, right, of cross-racial solidarities as one that has to be had across the set across settler states. So thinking about solidarity, not just kind of within, you know, the United States, right? Not just within uh, Canada and not just within, you know, um, uh, countries that that they represent, such as uh, Mexico and uh, Brazil, right? But to think about these, uh, the ways in which these connections have to be imagined um, within these states, of course, but how it also kind of is produced out of the connections across settler states, right? So how Asian racialization occurs um, is uh, an occur, you know, it occurs in relationality to um, uh, uh, dispossession of indigenous communities, uh, right? But we have to think about how it occurs also um, 
as you know, countries such as Mexico looks at you know, uh, racial formations in the United States, right? So those are sort of the uh, relational kind of conversations that I saw being tracked within the literature itself. And I just kind of wanted to, again, place these works in juxtaposition or in critical conversation um, or relationality, right? In order to think specifically about um, the ways in which, um, you know, settler racial hegemonies or settler racial tense or tension is itself um, drawing comparatively, but also, you know, across, you know, settler landscapes. I, I mean, I am such a fan of that style in the book. Um, and all those texts, though, that you choose to um, are quite uh, amazing and um, are great to have in conversation with each other. Um, I wanted to ask a couple sillier questions um, <laughs> because as a writer myself, I, I love when I get these questions and um, I find that um, they're a bit fun. And so like first, like I like to ask um, if there's a favorite moment that you have in the book, perhaps something that like doesn't really come out, you know, that doesn't get captured in most summaries of the book or most reviews mm. of it. Like, is there something that you really liked about it? And then second, um, what was the more challenge? What was a very challenging part of the book, either structurally or like a specific thing that you that kind of annoyed you or that yeah. you just found troublesome? Um, it's not necessarily a favorite part, but I think a major turning point for me was when I was writing what became the second chapter of the book, uh, where I employ critical close readings of the 1988 and the 2008 public apologies for Nikkei internment and Indian residential schools in Canada, uh, respectively. So I look at these two apologies uh, by Prime Ministers Brian Mulroney and Stephen Harper, respectively, as performative settler scripts that work to spatially and temporally contain the emotions of these two communities towards the telos of the settler state. Uh, these readings really brought into clarity for me the productive unsettling that can occur when placing these settler scripts alongside the writings and cultural productions by Asian and indigenous communities in the Americas. Uh, because what I saw in my readings of Joy Kagawa's Obasan and Marie Clement's play Burning Vision were the kinds of emotional responses to internment and to residential schoolings that couldn't be contained within the desires of the white or multicultural liberal settler state. So these emotions that were tracked in the text that I read were both temporally and spatially transgressive in the best possible ways, which... Uh, in the readings led to key conversations between Asian Canadian First Nations peoples, as well as between U.S. Asian American, Japanese, Native American, and Ainu peoples. And so really the kind of critical juxtaposition that occurred in that particular chapter provided me with a really productive template to see what I could do with the rest of the book. Yeah. Thank you for the, those answers for indulging these silly questions. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I, uh, well, one of the reasons I wanted to do these podcasts on the award winners is because I know quite a few people who have said that like they 
like reading through the, the books of the award winners and then deciding on how they might teach them mm. in, the, in the next coming mm-hmm. year. Um, so I, one of the advantages I think here is that we can have the authors themselves tell us like what how you might imagine that happening, mm. um, if at all. Uh, but um, there's also just the the way the impact of the award. How do you feel um, as as a scholar having won this award? Uh, what kind of impact are you hoping that the book will have on readers, on various readers, academics, students, and uh, organizers? Mm. Yeah, so um, I think maybe just on the most basic level, I'm hoping that the book will incite uh, further inquiries uh, into sort of thinking about communities, right, that often have no relationship or, or, or are considered as having no relationship with one another, or if that relationship is considered at all, right, it's oftentimes brief or tenuous. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm seeing this occurring, right, uh, this push, I think, um, to think comparatively and relationally uh, in, you know, uh, the two fields that I'm engaging with in the book, right, in Asian American studies, as well as Native American indigenous studies. Um, I think, however, I, there's more work that needs to be done, uh, particularly, right, um, in everyday conversation, right, among our parents, among our families, um, and among our communities outside of academia. And I think oftentimes in teaching works, right, whether in the undergraduate level or the graduate level, you see that kind of encounter with certain texts, right, that might be able to Uh, permeate outwards outside of academia in order to kind of make um, a a kind of impression, right? Uh, Make, make, make a kind of difference um, that, that, that again can um, perhaps give rise to more sustained uh, mobilization, right? Towards solidarity, towards understanding of, you know, the logics of the settler state, um, but then also kind of towards creating um, solidarities across communities that, again, might not um, um, typically be understood in relationship to one another. So let me ask a final question, which is about the uh, your current project or future projects, if <laughs> no need to already have one, I suppose. Um, but I did read on your profile that you are working on another book. So would you um, uh, be able to talk about that a bit? Uh, yeah, the, so the second book is very much an extension of the first part of Unsettled Solidarities, where I think critically about my own embodied movements across U.S. settler locales and traditional indigenous lands. Um, the book examines specifically contemporary cultural productions by Vietnamese Americans from the post-Vietnam War era, so from 1975 to the present. Uh, and I look specifically at literature, photography, as well as memorials. Um, in those works, I trace their depiction of Vietnamese refugees' mobilization within post-Vietnam War U.S. projects and discourses and their relationship to the material and the symbolic reproduction of U.S. settlement. Um, I argue, provisionally argue, that attention to refugee interaction in the project of settler colonialism um, can provide a more uh, nuanced understanding of how discourses of U.S. humanitarianism, uh, rescue and asylum uh, can play into settler logics of American exceptionalism that erase indigenous presence. 
So uh, by centering the refusals and tensions uh, embodied in Vietnamese refugee resettlement in the U.S. specifically, this project works to reveal settler colonialism as a structure and a social process whose constitution and instabilities are also produced by the logics and ramifications of U.S. imperial wars in Asia. In the work, I'm also trying to trace a kind of reoccurring aesthetic of embodiment that emphasizes the porosity of the body as a crucial site for engagement across different communities. And this embodiment I'm seeing traced uh, across the gendered bodies of particularly refugee women. Well, Quinn New Lei, thank you so much for um, being a part of the podcast, for joining us here and being willing to discuss your work. It's been such a pleasure to, um, like always, to meet an author. Oh, thank you so much. Well, that's it from us for this episode. Please keep us in mind as we roll out our second episode on the AAAS Book Award winners which will focus on the awards in creative writing and will feature interviews with Benjamin Naka Hasebe Kingsley, author of the poetry collection Colonize Me, Jan Henry Gray, author of the poetry collection Documents, and Rico Villanueva Shosoko, author of the short story collection The Foley Artist. Thank you for listening to the Jazz Podcast, a collaboration between the Journal of Asian American Studies and the New Books Network. It is produced by the Journal of Asian American Studies with the help of the Social Justice Institute at the University of British Columbia. It is mixed by myself and Moses Caliboso, and the music featured in it is by the local Vancouver band Necking.